0: to Small Town Mysteries, where we talk about shit that went down in these small towns, shit that's unsolved, and shit that led to more shit. Except so far, none of these stories actually involve shit, but I will say I'm excited for the day I can say that they do. I'm Kate, here with Christine. Hello. And Rachel. Hello. Hello. Bringing you our third episode featuring some stories from Kate and Christine. Um, so, Christine, I think you're first this week. You want to get into it? Yeah. Uh, so, my segment
1: is on Elizabeth in Cuts today. And, y'all, I'm mixing it up this week. First off, this is not going to be the standard missing person case. And, thankfully, there's some more answers with this case than with the last two cases I've researched. But the main difference this week is that we are moving over to the state of DLB. And by that, I mean dairy, lumber, and beer. Any guesses? Wisconsin? Yeah! <laughs>
2: That's yeah, right. I, did you
0: cheat? Did I cheat? Yeah. No, no I knew that. Kate's,
1: Kate's not on the document. Rachel is, though, so I'm, I'm glad she wasn't on the one that the guessed it.
0: <laughs> I'm not on the Google so I didn't cheat, but I want it on the record that I think about Wisconsin more than I should. Okay. <laughs> Well, because my, my favorite hockey team uh, uh-huh. is the University of Wisconsin Superior Men's Hockey Team. Okay. So I think about Wisconsin <laughs> a lot. Anyway, continue. Right, we,
2: should, we should never have asked. Just Let's keep going. It just, yeah, keep going. It is. <laughs>
1: uh, but yeah, we're going to be talking about a missing person case from the state known as America's Dairyland, Wisconsin. And I'm the perfect person to talk about this case... Considering Rachel and Kate are lactose intolerant,
0: and I, was gonna I am say.
1: in fact, in fact, one of the only friends in our friend group who can scarf down a cheese pizza without getting the shits.
2: Yeah, and the rest of us are very envious Ooh. of you. Wait, you just mentioned shit.
0: I did. Oh I did. my god! But yes, well,
2: this
0: wasn't in a case context yet,
1: so <laughs> yeah, I know. To
0: involve it. I, want, I wanted
1: to bring it in a little bit more though, because it's our intro, and I feel like we have to give it a little That's bit good more uh, recognition.
0: I love yeah. the continuity.
1: Yeah, but that's enough for shit for this segment. Or enough about shit for this segment. Maybe <laughs> we'll get into it later. Who knows? I don't know what you guys Moving have up on. your sleeve. Um, I don't think anything up my
0: sleeve in that regard. Yeah.
1: Let's, let's get into it. So on the morning of July 27th, 2000, 30-year-old Elizabeth Cutts, known by many as Beth, went to work at Demco Plastics, a company located in DeForest, Wisconsin. She sent a text to her mom saying that if she was not home within 30 minutes to go look for her, and ultimately, she was never seen again.
2: Mm.
1: Now, at the time of her disappearance, Elizabeth was married to a man named Daniel Cutts, though they had been experiencing issues within their marriage and were said to be separated, with Elizabeth wanting a divorce. The couple had been together for around 12 years and had two children, but a week prior to her disappearance, Elizabeth had moved out of the house she shared with Daniel and had taken their two kids to live with her mother in Poinette, Wisconsin.
0: That's a big step in a separation.
1: And also very recent, like a week prior (laughs) to her disappearance. During this time, she had also been having an affair with a man named Greg Stahl, and Daniel was said to know about this affair, or at least be very suspicious about the person and Elizabeth.
2: Interesting. Okay. This is
0: getting yeah. scandalous. Mm-hmm. I was going to say escandaloso. Don't <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, say it like that. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um,
1: let's let's delve into the more detailed aspects. So, as I stated before, she went to work at Demco on the morning of July 27th, and then she left work for the day at. 315 she sent the text to her mother and told her that if she was not home within the 30 minutes to come look for her and later in the evening elizabeth's mom notified authorities in particular a man named officer Pertzborn, who i will briefly talk about later that elizabeth had not come home her mom told authorities that it was uncharacteristic of elizabeth to not notify her of her plans or if they had changed since her mom watched elizabeth's children when she was working Elizabeth's mom also told Officer Pertzborn that her and her family had already been contacting as many close friends of Elizabeth as they could possibly think of, and no one had information regarding her whereabouts. After this report, officers of the village of DeForest Police Department began to search for both Elizabeth and Daniel, as well as their vehicles. They found Daniel's vehicle at around 11 p.m. parked behind a closed business down the street from Demco, where Elizabeth Mm -hmm. worked. Which is, yeah, so... <laughs> uh, already, already a little bit sus, you know? A <laughs> little sus mm-hmm. there. Now, at the same time that his car was found, reported to be 11 as well, officers of Dane County Sheriff's Department picked up Daniel walking north along the highway, just north of the airport. But that's not all. When they picked him up, Daniel wasn't wearing shoes or a shirt. Oh. Yeah.
0: Okay.
1: No
2: shoes, no shirt,
1: uh-huh. no service. Right. <laughs> yeah, I hope he wasn't trying to get into a Denny's. And he was walking on the side of the highway, so. Denny's
0: car on the side of the highway. I've never been to a Denny's. Me neither. Why didn't we go when we were in Portland? No. They have one there. No. Do they? they what do. is a Denny's like? It's. Is it breakfast food?
2: Yeah, I hot, breakfast food.
0: Oh, okay. And it's, yeah. they're open all night.
2: I've been on Denny's before. Um, Mm. I'm not going to say anything because I feel like I'm going to get attacked for it. You know, attacked? (laughs) Attacked? Well, if I go shitting on Denny's, people are going to get mad. Oh, you were going to shitting on Denny's? We don't have an audience
0: yet.
1: (laughs) Yeah, like who's. There's like three people listening to this (laughs) and they're
0: all our friends. Three people know about this episode right now. I don't know if. We can cut it out later if it's controversial.
2: Well, Denny's is not good. I would not recommend. Oh,
1: okay. That was just his opinion. It's fine. Hot take, perhaps, (laughs) if you're into Denny's. (laughs) All right. Uh, Well, anyway, those sheriffs ended up dropping Daniel off at his brother's house in DeForest, where the DeForest police officers then located him and asked him to come into the police department for further questioning, which Daniel agreed to. Officer Pertzborn was one of the officers who went to Daniel's brother's house and noticed that he wasn't wearing a shirt or shoes, that Daniel's socks were wet and dirty, and that his pants were rolled up, seeming to be damp at the bottom.
0: So what's he been rolling around in? Yeah. Nothing good.
1: Nothing good. I don't think so. It's never anything good. No. Yeah. Yeah, so this officer also explains Daniel seemed very physically tired and depressed, now a couple a couple hours prior to the police finding both daniel and his car at around 9 p.m greg Stahl, who if you remember was the guy that elizabeth was having an affair with went to the police department and said elizabeth and i have been having an affair and he told the police that elizabeth had revealed to him that daniel was deeply upset about their broken marriage and had threatened to kill himself Greg also reported seeing Daniel earlier that day in his car, a blue Cavalier, in an apartment parking lot near Demco, where Elizabeth worked. He also told the police that he and Elizabeth had plans for the evening and that it was unusual for her to not let him know if plans had changed. Lastly, Greg let the police know that Elizabeth had told him several times that Daniel had been following her somewhere, that she was tired of his controlling nature, and that she was afraid.
0: Oh, Yeah, that sounds like a healthy relationship. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Nothing to worry about there.
0: (laughs) Not at all. No issues.
1: Officer Pertzborn also learned from other officers that there had been a dispatch report earlier that day of an estranged husband possibly stalking or hanging around his wife's workplace. This was investigated, but the officer who went out, like, didn't see the husband, so that kind of didn't go anywhere.
2: Going to your significant other's place of work is a whole like new level.
0: Yeah, it's like one thing if you're like, hey, I love and care about you. So I made you lunch and then you forgot to bring it. So I'm going to drop it by your place of work because I love and care about you. And it's another to be like, I think you're having an affair. So I'm going to go by your place of work and just stand menacingly near your place of work. And eventually someone's going to call the cops because of how odd and out of place I look. That's that's a step too far.
2: Yeah, I'm just yeah. going to hide in the front, the biggest bush that I can find, in the front. And I'm just going to chill there. Yeah, no. Bad,
0: bad news bears.
2: <laughs> yeah, this guy is not the greatest
1: of news, you know? So the officer also found out that Daniel had been in possession of a firearm within the past several months. And there had been an altercation, like, two years prior where Daniel was arrested or... Shooting his shotgun at a person who went to his house to repossess his truck.
0: Oh, so that's good. Just normal response. Totally normal, Mm -hmm. healthy things to do. So far, I'm seeing nothing wrong here. (laughs) No red flags. (laughs) No (laughs) No red flags. I see see green flags, Mm -hmm. and that's it. (laughs) Yeah, I can't wait to see where this goes because it's clearly going somewhere great.
1: Oh yeah. When Daniel was taken in for questioning, he expressed that he was very distraught over the state of his marriage. He also stated that he had not eaten or slept for two days, and that he suspected that Elizabeth was having an affair with someone named Greg from Portage. He also admitted there was a foreclosure occurring on farmland that both he and Elizabeth owned. During this discussion, the officer noticed several small scratches on Daniel's wrists and a small sore on his hand on which there was dried blood
0: once again no red flags nothing suspicious (laughs) i really hope they tested that blood
1: yeah well i love his account of activities because
2: this made me some
1: of them just made me giggle a little bit i'm excited so (laughs) as as for his account daniel said that he had called elizabeth early in the morning to let her know that he would likely see her at work later that day he said he drove his car to go see her after work and parked it on a country highway to wait for her. At around 3.30, he said he saw her coming toward him in her Jeep and that she pulled over and he got in her Jeep with her, leaving his car on the side of the road. Daniel said that they drove around and talked about their marriage and the children, and this drive would have been six hours long. What? So,
2: oh, <laughs> a very casual. long drive.
1: That's like to New York, guys. New York City. <laughs> How do, do that just a like, cash just up cash, in Wisconsin.
0: Maybe we'll get a Dunkin'. Like yeah. No. Like, I hate car
1: rides. Upon questioning, Daniel said he did not know exactly where they were because he was so focused on what they were talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh He said they eventually went to a place called Token Creek Park and they had sex in the vehicle. Okay. Yeah, Daniel says he took his shoes off but left his shirt on. And following this, Daniel claims that he and Elizabeth talked more, left the park, and Elizabeth drove to a gas station where he got out and went to the store. Elizabeth apparently then told Daniel that she had to go to Portage, which, if you remember, is where Greg lived, and Daniel knew that Greg lived there. Mm
0: -hmm. And Daniel said he could walk back home. So at this point... How close is he to like their their house?
1: I'll get into that later, but uh, twenty five okay. to thirty miles. I was gonna say because if he'd <laughs> been given for six hours, he would be 360 yep. miles away. Yeah, he just wanted to take a leisurely thirty miles walk
0: back to his house without shoes on. So. I mean, that's very on par with the six hour leisurely car ride he had just taken. <laughs> so I guess I shouldn't be surprised. Oh, yeah. it's just a ca-
2: That's just a casual stroll, if you ask me. Mm-hmm.
0: It's a literal walk in the park. <laughs> yep. Well,
1: Daniel explains that after Elizabeth left, he remembered, oh, shit, I left my boots in the Jeep. Mm, yeah. <laughs> totally <laughs> forgot those. Oh, bummer,
2: uh, man. <laughs> who needs shoes? Yeah. Clearly not this guy. But
1: he says he started walking north on the highway until the officers picked him up with his intention being to walk home, even though it was the 25 to 30 miles away. And he, he did admit that it was unlike Elizabeth to not notify anyone of her whereabouts, but he didn't express concern for her welfare and declined to help officers search for her. Which are both not well, red flags,
0: if you ask me. But, but also, I kind of, I agree that those are definitely not red flags, not even remotely cr- weird. But also, he totally knew where she was. Yeah. Oh, Yeah. yeah. Like he, she said she was going he said it was odd for Elizabeth to not notify anyone of her whereabouts, but allegedly when she left him at the gas station, she said exactly where she was going, that she was going to Portage.
2: So yeah. it's not like
0: he can legitimately say, Oh, I had no idea where she was going. His own statement says <laughs> He told me she was going to Portage and then he's like it's so weird that she didn't tell anyone where she was going. Yeah, this <laughs> guy's who? the
1: I'll get Buddy. into it later. But this these aren't even his first statements to the police oh Oh, great uh and those are different they're not the same so
0: fun fun fun
1: we love a contradictory guy but ultimately after two hours of you know them bringing him in for questioning officer pertzborn placed daniel under arrest yeah and i'm every right to do so (laughs) to be honest
2: very Mm -hmm. fair
1: daniel's story had several major issues as we've kind of talked about Daniel suspected she was having an affair with Greg from Portage, so it didn't really seem plausible, especially from his history, that he would just be so relaxed about her going there from the gas station. Like, oh, you're going to Portage? Oh, no problem. I'll just walk home. Like, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah and but then it
0: doesn't track.
1: No, and, and like we've talked about, it doesn't make sense that he would want to walk the 25 to 30 miles. And if he really did plan on walking that amount, you would think that he would
2: make sure that he would have his shoes.
0: Yeah, but. definitely.
2: Christine, so how far did we walk the other day? And literally, the whole bottom of your foot was just covered in blisters. Like, imagine what your feet would look like if you walked 25 to 30 miles. But he had no shoes, so it would be even worse. I know. I Where where did you walk that
0: you got blisters all over your feet?
1: I just, I don't know. It was the shoes I was wearing. I mean. That'll do it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But (laughs) no, I got some
1: blisters. They're not actually not that bad. I don't know if people, I don't know if anyone that's listening to right now wants to hear about blisters on my feet. Do you think so? If they, if those people are listening and they're entranced by that conversation, then I hope you never listen to this podcast again. I'm sorry. I was going to say,
0: if if you enjoy feet (laughs) conversations, perhaps this is not the podcast for you because you're it right now. in this guy's feet a lot, it probably won't be in future cases.
2: Yeah, guys, I literally want right. to exit because we're talking about feet. Like, we're, okay, we're done. I'm, gonna, I'm sorry I brought it up in the first place. Yeah, you we're okay? That's fine. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Um, I initiated it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, but I oh, I forgot to mention this part. But Daniel told officers that the scratches on his hand were from sitting in tall grass. Of course <laughs> so <laughs> Oh yeah. That points <laughs> points for creativity, because I love the scratches I get on my hands from sitting in tall grass.
0: <laughs> if you haven't gotten scratches on your hands, have you even sat in tall grass? No, I didn't think so. Once again, no red flags. And
1: there will be none after this paragraph either because there are a bunch of stories from witnesses and people close to Elizabeth that don't paint Daniel in a good light. A friend once heard from Elizabeth that Daniel locked her in the bathroom and told her that he wouldn't unlock the door until Elizabeth promised that she wouldn't leave him. Elizabeth's mom states that Elizabeth told her that Daniel was on her tail all the time, that he had screamed at her for leaving in her car without him before, and that Elizabeth had told her multiple times that Daniel followed her to various places. She also states that Daniel had told Elizabeth, if you leave me, they can bury us all on that hill in regards to an area on their 180-acre property. As well as, if you leave me, you'll never live to see your
0: kids grow up. So, um, from oh, a legal perspective, manipulative, that's so like intent. <laughs> yeah. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Just
1: throwing that Whoa. out there. Elizabeth's brother, her friends, and Greg Stahl all say that she told them the same thing as well. Elizabeth's stepfather remembers an incident where... She told him that Daniel was watching her from their house. Greg Stahl also has several accounts of Elizabeth telling him that Daniel had followed her somewhere. And on the morning of July 27th, Stahl stated that Elizabeth told him that Daniel had been following her to work for several days and that she saw him on the way to work that morning. And that was the day that she went missing. Oof. Oof. Mm. There's also evidence that Daniel was not completely truthful in his statements to police officers about his activities on the evening of July 7th. First, Daniel initially denied to the officers who picked him up on the highway that he had even been with Elizabeth that night. Instead, he told them that he had been with several individuals in a car at the gas station who he did not know well, that he had argued with them and had accidentally left his shoes in their car. He also lied about parking his car so that he could see Elizabeth after work. Actually, Daniel was confronted by Greg Stahl earlier that day after he had been seen parked next to Elizabeth's workplace, and so instead of using his car, he borrowed his brother's car. It was while he was at his brother's car that he stopped Elizabeth on her way from work. Additionally, a witness saw Elizabeth's Jeep turning into the 180 acres of property they both owned at around 3.35 p.m. on July 27th. The key to Daniel's brother's car was also found on the property.
0: So his car wasn't, his car was a moot point in all of this? Mm Mm-hmm. So it was the brother's car the whole time. So clearly I'm hoping they're looking into the brother's car at this point. Yeah, it's just
1: all over the place. But if you're both wondering if there was any physical evidence that Daniel killed Elizabeth, there was. During a search Blood of Hers, Blood of Hers was found on his wristwatch. Also, the only fingerprint found on the Jeep that Elizabeth had been driving for five days was Daniel's located on the outside of the driver's door and next to the handle. This is strange because Elizabeth had borrowed the Jeep from a friend several days prior and had washed it on the 26th, the day before her disappearance. Her car was found in the murder parking ramp in Madison, Wisconsin around noon on July 29th. Though washing her Jeep would have eliminated some fingerprints, she drove it the next day and her son was also inside the car when it was being washed, which just points to Daniel attempting to cover up his fingerprints located inside the vehicle.
0: Yeah, that's definitely what happened there, I would say.
1: And thirdly, Elizabeth's blood was found in the Jeep, specifically in the cargo area. Daniel's lawyers tried to say that this either came from her menstruating or from (laughs) biting her fingernails.
2: (laughs) In the cargo area. Oh my god! So let me just bleed here real quick. Like, that makes no sense. Yeah. Yeah. Was his lawyer a man?
1: I don't know. I didn't... I should have looked that up, to be honest. I'm just throwing that out
0: there. His lawyer was a man. I'm getting those vibes. That has, like, my my lawyer is a man vibes all over it. Yeah. But it's okay, guys, because the jury could
1: not find any of those options plausible after seeing photographic evidence of the blood. And even if you're thinking, like, maybe her flow is really heavy and she just decided to... I don't know. Just... Go in the cargo area.
0: Indeed. Yeah, in the cargo area. <laughs> the cargo area. area of a borrowed vehicle.
1: But even if you say maybe that happened, there's also evidence that Elizabeth had stopped menstruating on July 22nd, which is several yeah. days prior, so the yeah. defense really didn't do a great job with that argument. Also, even though no murder weapon has ever been found, there was evidence that Daniel carried a knife in the trunk of his car, and that knife was not there when authorities searched the car. Also a five tine fork and a shovel were also missing from the farm where daniel lived and a five tine fork far- a five tine fork is literally just like the forks that we ha- eat with but like
0: yeah. for
1: farmers it's just like a lot bigger
0: oh is it like a really like a pitchfork right like a like in american gothic right yes. like, yeah holding a a pitchfork pick. yes kind of like that i was thinking like a regular like eating fork and i was like no. well that's i was not expecting yeah <laughs> how would you know if like one
2: individual fork was missing like do you just count all of them like every day
0: if you previously had one in your car and people were like oh he always had a fork in his car he'd be like yeah he always had a fork in his car well that was the farm no that was that, the farm. Was, that was
1: missing from the farm
0: oh yeah Yeah. so yeah it's definitely not like one fork because it's gonna yeah, be like yeah, yeah well, we normally have um 18 forks 17 butter knives like yeah it's not uh it's funnier to think of it as like a kitchen utensil fork but realistically farming implement yes
2: all i can think of is just like riots and like people going with their yeah, pitchforks like oh <gasps> <laughs> that's all i can think about
1: i love that ultimately daniel cuts was charged with first degree intentional homicide hiding a corpse stalking and obstructing an officer he was convicted of all four offenses after a jury trial and in the past he has attempted to appeal on the grounds that the state did not have probable cause to arrest him and that a number of elizabeth's statements related by witnesses at trial were inadmissible hearsay However, it was concluded that the state did have probable cause to arrest Daniel, so that appeal didn't really go anywhere, and he is still serving a life sentence for Elizabeth's murder, though he maintains his innocence, which I just think is pretty crazy that he got a life sentence, even though her body has still not been found to this day.
0: Yeah, that's, um, I mean, it it can happen. There's a reason, the expression no body, no crime exists for a reason, and it's that a body is the best Type of physical proof you can have of a murder occurring without a body. I mean, you can there still make so... a case. Clearly, they made a case because they had and other physical evidence. So much like the physical
1: evidence, but also just circumstantial, and the fact that like his story changed so much the first right. time that he encountered police versus next time. But Beth's parents have raised both of her children, and in an article from 2006, so a long time ago they stated that they still searched for beth this would have been like six years after mm-hmm. and they were hopeful that they would one day find her her mom said they mainly want answers for her children who question what happened to their mother the last extensive search for her body was in 2007 when almost 100 law enforcement officials searched through the property of lester and lilac sudsmo whose son and daniel cutts were friends those people had refused to allow a search of their property before, which is just very suspicious if you ask me. However, yep. the search didn't turn up anything of significance. But what really makes me angry about this case is that it is so clear that Daniel Cutts committed this crime, but he still won't admit to where he hid the body. And I feel like this is a common, a fairly common occurrence with murderers. But I can just imagine if I was her child or a family member, I would be just so furious and livid with him. Like, I would just want to know. I would literally want to, like, strangle it out of him. <laughs> like, I, I don't understand.
0: It's, like, frustrating because you think of justice being achieved when someone's convicted. But it's so bittersweet to have someone convicted for a crime but still not have the body. You know, like, to still have that level of not knowing, even though there's been a conviction in the case... I just can't imagine that would be an easy thing to like live with, you know, yeah, and I mean he yeah. was convicted
1: pretty soon after, like I think a month after
0: mm-hmm. she
1: died, and like clearly her her parents were still looking like six years after that, like they still have a desire Wait, to how know. was he
0: convicted that quickly?
1: It was pretty soon, it might have been five months, but I know that he was wow. like the charges were brought on within a month, and he was okay. i mean he
0: was arrested the day after. Yeah, so, I mean, it would make sense for him to be charged within a month. But I was going to yeah. say, I don't think it's case. It might have been, normal, might have like been a- five months. But he okay. was convicted pretty fast, considering. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of evidence against him. So, yeah. I bet prosecution thought it was a slam dunk. The thing
2: with <laughs> these kinds of people, it's just all about control. So, he can still have that level of control, even though he is currently in jail and can't actually do anything. And that probably gets him off every day, honestly, which is yep. disgusting, but reality. If you look at his
1: uh, mugshot picture, which was updated a couple years ago, I mean, ugh, you can just tell he's yeah,
0: looking him up already.
1: Know. His most recent one is just I don't know. I don't like this man just based on a picture, which is. But also based on a bunch of other things, you know? Yeah, the picture doesn't
0: help, but there's like what he did. did. not like him. <laughs> yeah,
2: okay. That's enough of that.
0: Did you see him?
2: Yep. That's enough. Blech. It's basically
1: that, except he's smiling smugly and has <gasps> a handlebar mustache all the way down. Oh. And has a, oh. I don't
0: know. That's he just gone all over. Yeah. In the worst way. I hate a
2: smug smile. Those are the worst. I hate that.
0: Well, that was... Certainly didn't disappoint. I know we were talking earlier in the week about... I wanted to know what you were, like, reading about because you were, like, gasping audibly. But I wanted to (laughs) be surprised. (laughs) So, didn't disappoint.
2: That was really good. Definitely kept me on my toes. And I'm glad
0: that
1: there were more answers because... I do like a missing person case, but...
0: It's disheartening. It is. When they're all unsolved. (laughs) But wow. Kate,
1: I believe that it is uh, it is up to you now
0: for the Yay. second segment. Yes. So for my segment this week, uh, it's going to be pretty short and sweet and to the point because this was kind of a big case at the time and definitely stays in the news with updates happening every couple of years still. Um, but honestly, the story itself is pretty straightforward, so... I'm going to get into the facts of it and get into some theories and uh, let you know where the case stands today. So I'm sticking local to Massachusetts, not our area of Massachusetts, so I am, you know, branching out. I'm going to talk about a case that made some big waves, even though it happened in a small town, and waves was a joke there. I don't know if anyone picked up on that. I don't know if you guys didn't read ahead, probably not, but the victim in this case was a lifeguard, so... Waves, you know. Okay. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's right. I see. I see. I'm talking about the murder of Molly Bish. So this is actually sort of like two cases in one, um, because for a long, long time, authorities thought these two cases were connected. And I'll get into it a little bit later about sort of why they thought they were connected and sort of what came out later that sort of indicated that they weren't. But so for some spooky background, just uh, bare bones of the case: Molly Bish was murdered in the year 2000. Her body was found in Hampton County, Massachusetts in 2003. Another 2000 case. Mine was 2000 as well. I always felt incomplete
1: saying 2000. I felt like it needed to be followed by another Something like 2000 else. and.
0: <laughs> That's why I said the year 2000. <laughs> ah, yeah. Good call. Good oh. call. So she was murdered in 2000, and her body was found in 2003 in Hampton County, Massachusetts. After a hunter tipped off police to a blue bathing suit that he'd seen in the area that he thought was suspicious. Her disappearance and subsequent murder are creepy enough on their own, but there is a possible connection to another local murder. That's what really wrenches the gut, in my opinion. So even before the year 2000, in 1993, in Molly's hometown of Sturbridge, Massachusetts, 10-year-old Holly... I'm going to not be able to pronounce this last name. Holly Piraranin, perhaps? Holly was kidnapped after going to visit a litter of puppies at a neighbor's cabin, which quite honestly is a terrible way to go. Like, you just imagine all the joy of puppies and then your kid just doesn't come home. That's not right. It's horrible. Like, I'm literally tearing up right now. I just imagine you're like, yeah, go visit the puppies next door. And then she never comes back. And her brother came back. She was with her brother. It's like,
1: wait, what?
0: Yeah. So like she literally just disappeared. And then about two or so months later, her remains were found on October 3rd. uh, Nope. Excuse me. October 23rd in a highly wooded area. Wait, on October 3rd, he asked me what day it was. It wasn't October 3rd, though, because I I know, but
2: that's what you said (laughs) at first.
0: (laughs) Okay. On October 23rd, he asked me what day it was. And I said it was the day that Holly Piranin's body was found. (laughs) Anyway, uh, Holly's remains were found two or so months later on October 23rd in a highly wooded area of Brimfield, Massachusetts, also by hunters. So this is about 10 years before Molly's body was found, seven years before she disappeared. Somewhat similar circumstances. Molly Bish, who would have also been 10 years old at the time of Holly's disappearance and subsequent murder, actually wrote a letter to Holly's parents to express her sympathies. So here's a quote from that, which this quote had me shook, I will say. So she said, I am very sorry. I wish I could make it up to you. Holly is a very pretty girl. She is almost as tall as me. I wish I knew Holly. I hope they found her. That's just heartbreaking. Yeah, and it's it's heartbreaking because you know it was written by a 10-year-old who probably was scared because this, hap- this had happened in her area. Um, but... Something about, I wish I could make it up to you, is, like, so particularly gut-wrenching, knowing that six years later, she also was kidnapped and killed. You know, like, that she sent a sympathy note to the parents of this girl, and then six years later, also died in remarkably similar fashion. It's just bizarre, and probably a coincidence, but just bizarre.
2: Okay, so you're talking about it being coincidence. Is there any way that this was, like, released to the public or something? Like, could this have been known by others?
0: You know, I thought about that. Like, that was a good point. Like, someone knew that she'd expressed sympathy for Holly's disappearance, so they targeted her specifically because of that. I couldn't find anything that affirmatively indicated that that was the case. Um, I couldn't find any news articles that mentioned Molly specifically in regards to Holly's disappearance. So as far as I know, there's no connection there. And it's mm-hmm. just basically an odd coincidence. But I'll get into that a little bit later with sort of how the investigations have run parallel to each other over the years. So the writing is typical of a ten-year-old girl, but it's that line I wish I could make it up to you, that really just is chilling. And also the fact that she pointed out similarities in their physical appearances. Um, offers credence to a theory that they could have been targeted by the same killer. You know, like, maybe someone had a type. And it's, like, horrible to think of it in that way. But I, without seeing pictures of either one of them, which, you know, I did when I was researching, but before seeing them, I read the letter. I wouldn't have known, per se, if they would have been targeted because they looked similar. Because they had an M.O. or a type of girl that they hunted. But in her own letter to say, like, she was very pretty... She was almost as tall as me. Just kind of, uh, wrenches the gut, if you ask me. Yeah. So now that we've established the probably coincidental connection to Holly's murder, um, the day before Molly went missing, her mother Maggie reported seeing a suspicious mustached man in the parking lot of the beach where Molly worked, which was called Coleman's Pond, as well as a white sedan. So she saw a man and a white sedan. She said that she saw neither the man nor his sedan the following day, which was June 27th, the day that Molly went missing. Um, the identity of that man is not known, nor is it known if there's legitimately any connection between him and Molly's disappearance and murder. But another witness does claim that the same man was at the beach parking lot just before Molly was dropped off. So it's a significant enough fact for it to still be included in uh, most retellings of the investigation. No one knows who this guy is, but he might have been there the day she disappeared, and she might have been talking to him the day before she disappeared, which would, you know, make her maybe familiar with him, not think he was a stranger per se.
2: So this is actually ringing bells for me. I didn't think I knew this case, but I've definitely listened to a podcast about it before. And Mm -hmm. I remember that her mom had seen him, like, the day prior, like you said, and she got, like, that gut feeling, like, when mm. she saw him, and, like, I'm sorry, but you listen to that, like, it's always right, your gut's always right.
0: Yeah, like, you see your kid talking to someone, and you feel uncomfortable about it, you have a talk with your kid later that day about not talking to people you don't know, and it's like, well, well you talked to him once, that he's still a stranger, you know, and, like, obviously, this is not to, like, point the blame at anyone, but no, I agree. That gut feeling should really guide a lot of uh, people's actions.
1: I also have read up on this case before because I think it was the the largest search in the state's history of a missing body. I think that's wow. that is accurate. Yeah, and I remember that a local worker who was a witness said that he did see his car that day, like the white mm-hmm. sedan, but it was parked in a cemetery that was connected to the pond by a path. Oh so perhaps her mom didn't see the sedan and she might have just missed the guy or you know like you might not recognize the guy from the back of yeah. his head or something right. like right or you might not know.
0: recognize him without the context of the sedan or something exactly yeah that's that's fascinating also
1: there are so many similarities between this and the other case just in terms of like the days this was june 27th the last one was july 27th that they went missing in like 2000 i don't know and it's crazy because of random, I just put it in a random town generator and it like DeForest came up and then the case came up. So I was like, oh, I'll just do this one.
0: Yeah, I was actually thinking about that like literally seconds ago where I was scrolling back to make sure I'd said June 27th and not July 27th because I was still thinking about your case. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. That's it's just such a weird coincidence that it was the same year. I
2: hate, I hate that you keep saying coincidence because I hate coincidence.
0: I don't believe in coincidences. I don't either. Which is why you the just whole keep thing saying is it, so really unfortunate. But I can't not, like, I don't have any other explanation for the similarities in these two cases. I just don't. I don't know. I hate the word. I hate saying it. And I'm going to try and stop saying it for your sake. How's that? Thank
2: you. I appreciate it.
0: Okay. So police contacted Molly's family later the day of June 27th and told them that no lifeguard had been on duty at the pond that day. But that Molly's belongings were found unattended at the lifeguard station. So presumably she got to work, dropped her stuff off, and then poof. You know, maybe she walked away with someone willingly and then was kidnapped. Maybe she was grabbed at the beach. It's really just very unclear exactly how she went missing, just that her stuff was at work. So she was at work, she put her stuff on the lifeguard stand, and then something happened. So that's kind of the case in and of itself. That's that's kind of all the relevant info that there was sort of going into this investigation. So, here's a rundown of some suspects, and most of them have been ruled out. So, this is still unsolved. So, uh in 2009, Rodney Stanger was investigated for potential involvement. At that time, he was serving time in prison for murdering his girlfriend Crystal Morrison, who he had killed while living just a few miles away from where Molly had disappeared. Allegedly, Stanger owned himself Or had access to a white sedan that was just like the one seen near Molly the day before her disappearance. And he also matched the description given by Molly's mother, Maggie. And he was known to fish and hunt in the area where the body was found. So that's three suspicious things. Three strikes Mm -hmm. against Rodney Stanger. Uh, He was also briefly connected to Holly's case. Um, the other young girl who died. Um, but DNA evidence in that case uh, eventually was analyzed and pointed to David Pulio, I think that's how it's pronounced, um, who was never questioned in the case or convicted and died in 2003. That DNA evidence was a more recent development and he was already dead by the time um, it was connected to him. By this point, authorities have more or less ruled out the murders being committed by the same man, which... I hate to say it, and I know we hate the word, but the similarities are coincidences yeah. that they would be that close by. I mean, it
1: it could be, because if she was close by, she likely would have heard about the case. And Well, she knew
0: about it because she wrote a letter to the parents. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Exactly, that's what I'm saying. So, like, she's close by enough that it's not like she's across the country writing right. a letter, right? Like, she wrote a letter to the parents because they live pretty right. close by each other. And who knows, they might have gotten tens, dozens, hundreds of letters mm-hmm. from different people, like, saying the same exact thing. So Yeah,
0: so, I mean, they were close by. Bodies were found in the same type of area by hunters. You know, it's just a lot of things kind of stack up, but not really a lot of tangible, actual evidence that connects the cases. And now with the DNA evidence in um, Holly's case... They're pretty sure that they're not connected because there was never any connection of um, David Puglio to Molly's disappearance. So they do not think they're connected, despite all of those odd coincidences. Did you ever look into why they were
1: suspecting Stanger for Holly's case? Like, I just wonder why... He was a suspect in that case yeah too.
0: it was it was a lot of the similar stuff it was a lot of like being in the same area like just in the yeah same like area. In, okay. in the time frame he would have been in the same area like he lived in the area during that time frame just it was like it was very much like a footnote and the investigation was like oh we should also right. probably look into him for this if he lived in this area at this time okay. because then that would be the like same mo same you know dumping of the body There wasn't any, like, significant evidence where they were like, oh, it's the same car, too. No, the white sedan wasn't, I don't believe, involved in um, Holly's case at all. So in 2011, a year before Holly's case was solved, I'm going to put that in quotes, because while investigators are pretty sure they know exactly who it was and he's named as a person of interest, he's dead. can't be questioned and can't confess at this point, and he'll never be charged, obviously. So, solved... A year before that, a narcotics informant named Gerald Battistoni, who had spent several years in jail for rape in the 90s, was named a person of interest in both cases. He also apparently resembled the description given and lived in the area where the bodies were found around the time of both disappearances. So you've got all the timelines adding up here. He's in the right place at the right time. He apparently looks like the woman that uh, Maggie had described. It's just a matter of finding some concrete evidence that ties into it.
2: Do you mean the man that she described?
0: Yeah, what did I say? Oh, sorry. He matched the description of the man that Maggie described. Call that a Freudian slip. So actually, once these allegations emerged, he actually committed suicide. Which is, you know, sad for a multitude of reasons. One of them being that he wasn't alive for his name to be cleared a year later. Because he, you know, he died in 2011, and in 2012, they determined who kidnapped and murdered Holly would have cleared his name on at least one of these cases. Makes me wonder about his potential involvement in Molly's case, but also just unfortunate that he didn't get to see his name cleared on that charge, and that he was so fearful of what could come of those accusations.
1: I can imagine even if he wasn't actually guilty, that like you were saying, he'd already spent several years in jail and just probably the thought of going back
0: was Right. And he was he was a little older by that point and I just yeah. I imagine there would be a lot of factors that would go into something like that. But it is unfortunate that he never got to see his name cleared cleared in uh Holly's case. So most recently, uh June twenty twenty one, investigators announced a new person of interest in Molly's case. Unfortunately, it is also somebody who is already dead because so often is the way of cold cases when it's, you know, 20 years later. So his name is Francis P. Sumner, and he was a registered sex offender who served time for rape and kidnapping up until sometime around 1997. So he wouldn't have been considered a person of interest for Holly's case, but definitely has the right timeline to be involved in Molly's Don't case. do
2: always check the sex offender registry first? I feel like I always hear that. So it's kind of weird to me that like if he was on the registry, then why wasn't he looked into earlier?
0: Yeah, that I don't know. Yeah, I don't actually don't know what the procedure is surrounding that. I just know that he was a registered sex offender and he'd been in jail previously for kidnapping, which would be one of the charges in this case. But he died in 2016. So he was never formally charged and never interviewed about his potential involvement because he had died five years earlier. Unrelated natural causes. He was just old. So this case is very much still unsolved. um, Despite some DNA testing undertaken by the FBI, years and years and years of deep investigation, um, there have just not been any arrests made in the disappearance and murder of Molly Bish. And neither have there been in the case of Holly Periranian. I pronounced that completely differently than I did last time, just six years before in remarkably similar fashion. Um, So even though we're pretty sure we have an idea of who killed Holly, and investigators think they have a pretty strong lead on who might have killed Molly, both suspects are dead. So these are two cases that will probably never be solved unless some really solid DNA evidence comes out. I don't know, we're getting up to 20 years almost since Molly's body was found, over 20 years since she disappeared. I don't feel great about the chances of this getting solved, but with a development as recent as June 2021... I would say anything's possible. I don't want to rule it out. But I just gotta say, I don't know, guys. This one freaks me out. Like, she was just gone. There was no one seen in the area. Her stuff was still there. And she'd written a letter to another victim's family. It just, it doesn't sit well with me. You know? And I'm just, like, the not sitting well is, like, a gut feeling that, like this is wrong and this is suspicious. And yeah, like, yeah, it's a cold case. Obviously, it's wrong and suspicious. But I feel like there's got to be more to it that no one knows about. I
2: just feel so bad for both of their families. Like, I know they never got that closure. I'm sure it's still it sucks no matter what. But like, at least you know that, right. oh, that person's rotting in jail or, oh, blah, blah, blah. But it probably keeps them up every night.
0: Right. It's kind of counter to Christine's case where they have the conviction, but no body. And then you have these two cases where you have two bodies and, you know, some evidence, but two suspects that are both dead. And then, you know, they can never confess. They can never be charged. They'll never face jail time for what they did. So as much as that may seem like you have closure... In knowing who committed these crimes or being reasonably certain who committed these crimes, they're never going to be held accountable for it, and that just sucks. Like I don't know how to phrase that any differently. It just sucks. It really does. Yeah. <sighs> but that's um that's my bummer of a case. I know. Like last episode, I kind of had like the the uplifting. Well, not uplifting because it was not good, but it was like comedic relief <laughs> case where. It was, um, it's not like the other case was, like, some walk in the park. It it was, like, the biggest art heist in, you know, American history. So it was, like, a big deal, but there was no murder. There was no Mm -hmm. unsolved anything, no families of victims that don't have answers. It's, like, if I knew someone who was involved in that, I'm sure it would be traumatizing, but I'd still sleep at night knowing that, like, it was an art heist, and maybe my sibling, who was the security guard, was injured, but we still don't have answers, but we also know that he's okay, in this case there's no answers and there's no closure and there's just like that vague nothingness of not knowing which is so devastating about cold cases for sure all
2: right well great job this week ladies i really enjoyed both of your cases
0: thank you and i think next week we'll be hearing from you on a big old long case right because i can never do anything short sweet to the point never in my life You know what? And there's nothing wrong with that. We love you anyway. (laughs) (laughs) All right. See you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Have a great week, everybody.